live for another episode of First Strike. This is KYT. Uh, before we start the show, just got to remember to plug our sweet sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Uh, no Jace, just really just got home, put this together. Uh, got Brian and Robin here. Um, just really tired from traveling and, and GP Providence and stuff like that. Uh, of course, didn't go as well as I would have hoped, but uh, me and Brian are in the same boat. Right, Brian? Yeah, things never go well for me anymore, so I'm just, uh, I'm just used to it. I, I do know how to attend Magic Tournaments expecting to win at this point. The next time I do, it'll be a nice surprise. So uh, I was a little underprepared. I didn't get as much team sealed time as, as I wanted. Made some mistakes in deck building. So I think I got the results I deserved and did not do all that well. I really want to... Have you ever watched The Wire? And there's like this really iconic scene in The Wire where uh, Stringer Bell has like one of the kids killed. And the, the other dude's yelling at Stringer Bell. He's like, yo, where's Wallace? I want to yell at you like, yo, where's Jace right now? I feel like you're just... You've, you've sent him away to a, a banished planeswalker land. Where's Jace, KYT? I'm not gonna have. I'm not gonna let this question go unanswered. Where is Jace? I stuffed him in my closet somewhere. <laughs> Unacceptable. How could you treat one of the marquee planeswalkers like that? Um, I, I have to mention uh, my team. I was teaming with uh, Frankie Richard, and a really close friend of mine, and Thierry Alagrucci, uh, a member of the Nation. And uh, Frankie really took uh, an article that Rob wrote uh, to heart, which is to really, like a lot of people would say to just look at where your rares are, look at where the tribes point you to. But Frankie was, was adamant to just do it the Rob way, which is like, forget the tribes and just try every single color combination, see how it fits uh, before proceeding. And I really liked that approach. I felt like, um, if we knew the format more, we would have done well. I think the the main mistake uh, in retrospect is overrating, um, and and maybe Rob can speak to it. The green white uh, dinosaur deck, like overrating the possibly I, like some people said they're unplayable. Basically, the the zero three that ramps you into dinos, but we're trying to make those zero threes better with the with like the Doran type uh, big dinosaur. But I think it ends up being that it has trouble you you play all these big fatties but you have trouble getting through and with like if they have evasion against you and they buy time with tokens like overall it didn't really seem that great it had like a carnage tyrant that we were excited about but uh rob can you speak to to me about like is greenway dinosaurs a thing or is it like a trap as some of the pro players uh, that I sh- we showed that particular deck to the thought, you know, you know that, that dinosaur is kind of bad, they said, in their opinion. Yeah, I think green-white is the worst of your dino options. <laughs> There's four. So, like, white, red, green-red are fine, and I think Naya is better than green-white. So <laughs> that's unfortunate. That's where you guys got put. Um, I didn't see the list you built, but, like, did you have cobbled wings in your, in your main? That's a blue uh, enchantment? No, no, the artifact. The, uh, so it's like two, one to equip, creature gets flying. Oh, right, 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 okay. Uh, no, I'm not sure we even had a copy in our pool, but like, that would have definitely helped uh, get Yeah, I think you, you need it. Like You need it in that deck. <laughs> you, can't, you can't really do anything without it unless you just have, you're just like stacked with like Pterodon Knights and uh, the Imperius or whatever the... The snapping drake that gets plus one plus one and something gets flying when it when it tbs but uh yeah the doran plan is probably bad because the seven mana six six is like not really great but uh i've had some three o draft lists that have like three of the o three in it but they've all been red white and i've played like turn three uh reality smasher that's been good <laughs> that's probably the right approach we thought like it took too long to get the big guy to hope to squeeze value from, from the zero threes. And then um, we also had the seven drop double strike three, three that when it attacks all your other guys, double strike. But again, sweet with a bunch of threes, right? trample. So sweet with a bunch of O threes. <laughs> Did you have the Aegisaur, the three, five that has enrage, give your team plus one, plus one counters. 
No? Yeah, like, so these are all cards that I've found nope. that are kind of make the O three 3 more palatable because it just, like, gives it some use later in the game, right? So, like, that thing takes a hit, then they all become 1-4s. It's so, like you can get some value out of them later. Like, 1-4 is not a dead card. O three 3 is very much a dead card in this format, it seems. So, so I, that, that's, what, that's the only mistake I, I felt we did. But due to lack of experience, because, like, we, we, all three of us didn't have, like, in total a ton of games with it, that we got trapped in the green-white thing. And we're like, oh, man, this, like, this guy's double strike. Is everything else double strike? It, and this will make our old threes better in the late game. But ultimately, you, know, you have to draw that one-copy dinosaur to make these old three goods. Or else, like, I was playing, I was winning my games, I would turn to my left, and we would have a bunch of O3s that did nothing, obviously, most of the time, because it was relying on that singleton copy. So I, I think that's the only thing I regret. Outside of that, really enjoyed uh, going using Rob's approach and not, uh, you know, like, obviously, you're going to end up in the tribes, but it's important to keep uh, your mind open that, you know, maybe the third deck or whatever, uh, there's a better combination. Um, Brian, did you come away with anything after playing the event? I don't know if I had a hard takeaway, like a rule I want to share. Um, I am also of the plan that tribal synergies are like a bonus. They're not, they're not what your deck should be based on. Like they're not your first priority when you're in deck building. Um, but that being said, if you have the correct cards to do tribal synergies, and I think most good pools did have the correct cards to make, make like the three tribal decks, basically dinosaurs, vampires, merfolk. Um, in that case, you should do it. Like, you don't necessarily stray from that plan just for, you know, just for the fact that you want to stick to this bizarre overarching theory that you shouldn't be playing tribal decks. Well, if the cards are there, you just do it. And with 12 packs, most times you could get there. Uh, we had kind of a weak pool where we couldn't get there. So we did, like, black-red pirates, uh, five-color green, and red-white dinosaurs. Our our decks felt pretty mediocre. Like all of them had weaknesses and were a little misbuilt. So um, I think Team Sealed is probably a little different from Base Limited. And I think any conclusions I really could draw from this tournament would be more based around the Team Sealed format. And I don't think anyone's interested in Team Sealed at this point. You want to get actual like hot draft tips. Um, I in that situation, I would again point out take the better card. Don't take a card because it's on tribe. Take the card which has the higher power value, and, and that'll ultimately make your deck better in most cases. There's always exceptions to every rule in Magic, but in most cases, I'm just looking for the powerful cards. Alrighty. Um, a lot of people, of course, with PGO finishing in second in the finals against a team that they met previously, I think at least two-thirds of that team uh, in the previous finals, uh, people are going crazy. Again, I, I'm, I'm impressed, and some people keep saying, like, this is, like, the true test of skill. It just shows because they're consistently there. And then I've talked to a lot of players that I respect, that a lot of pros that are known to the world, and a lot of them actually think this is, like, a, a bottom five limited format. I've heard those exact words, and that um, it's not as skill testing. A lot of great players including Brian, um, I felt like open, like there was no chance, like their pool, based on how they were talking about it, wasn't as like super great to, to be able to dominate. And again, a lot of players I respect that also met the same fate. Rob, like I, I know you haven't played, but what's your, you've been jamming a lot. Uh, what's your overall assessment uh, of the format? Yeah, this format's terrible. The sealed format is especially terrible. Like single person sealed is just so miserable. Like there's so little wiggle room. You're like the variance is just maxed out, right? Because not only do you need to have like your good card centralized in like like two to three colors, your good cards then need to be centralized like along the color pair themes. <laughs> so it's like if you get a bunch of merfolk. Uh, and then your green is a bunch of dinos, you just, like, leave a lot on the table, right? And for the pool that, like, gets to maximize, like, uh, River Boon or whatever it's called, and, like, cards like that are the 1-3 uncommon that puts two plus, a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two merfolk, like, when they get to, like, get both of those counters each time and you're only, like, kind of getting one, there's, like, there's a very big difference in the quality um, of what your deck can, can do, right? And the draft format I found is also kind of, like, 
week. I'm like maybe 10 drafts deep or 15 drafts deep, and I'm very, very bored. <laughs> like, you just, you know, four or five picks into the draft, unless like something in your seat is like very obviously open in a color pair or a tribe that you're not in, the, the whole draft almost feels like you're on rails. There's like a couple cards that I'll take over tribal cards, but other than that, you're just kind of like, taking the best tribal card you can. And like the, the other cards, like only synergize with the other tribes. So you just kind of like, you have no interest in them, right? Like every dinosaur is kind of like better to you when you're in the dino deck than just like a, a random pirate or, um, or merfolk or whatever for the most part. I and mean, it's not entirely true. Like some cards kind of break the boundary and are always good, like reality smasher, but you know, it's you got to turn on like in red white dinos. Like you just have Teradon Knight and the the Red Knight. You like you need to turn them on. You just need critical mass of dinosaurs. So at some point in the draft, it doesn't even matter. You're like, okay, two minute two one haste, three minute four two. Like yeah, whatever. I just need to get at least eleven of these in my twenty three, or else I can't do anything useful uh, with any reasonable consistency. And uh, yeah, I think I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure exactly why it's bad. I think I can point to like one thing that really tilts me is that. When you look at an uncommon, I don't even know the name of it because I've never actually drafted it in my deck, but it's like four black, it's an instant, and it does three damage to something, and you gain three life. And it's uncommon. Like, when that's an uncommon removal spell in a modern-day set, in black, which is supposed to be, like, very efficient at killing creatures, you just know that the set is going to be, like, poorly developed. It's just like, how did you come to the conclusion that this was a good power level for a five mana black removal spell <laughs> at Uncommon? So, I don't know. That, that's the card I look at. It's just like, yeah, when they decided this was right for the file, that's, that's where it probably all went wrong. That's, uh, that's the, uh, the level zero. <laughs> uh, Brian, do you share any of the same feelings about the format? Do you have any good or bad opinions about it overall? Uh, I am also underwhelmed right now. I think that I am a little less critical than some people. I see some people calling it like an all-time worst format. I'm not anywhere near that point. I don't, I'm not super into it, but I don't think it's anywhere near an all-time worst. It doesn't strike me like, say, Avacyn. Uh, I think it's, it's miles from Avacyn Restored. Um, but I keep, I keep thinking there's more and I feel like there's this door that I'm just like about to unlock and I'll be like, yes, now I get it. This was the key to the format. It is interesting. There's all this stuff lurking just below the surface. And every time I dig for it, I just get shut down and it's not actually there. Um, and my decks can't compete. You know, I spent the first two days basically, all right, obviously there's these tribal guidelines. If we just follow these tribal gu- guidelines hard, I'm sure you'll do fine. Let's see what you can do on the fringes of the format. What kind of weirdo decks are there? There aren't any. I, I, I found success with nothing. I had like a white black control deck based around like Axis of Mortality and the white gain life spell. Unplayable. Just completely horrible. Couldn't do anything. And like on paper, a lot of it made sense. It seemed to have the tools, but like you just get like tribal synergied and get destroyed and all your cards are so much worse than theirs. Um, so, I mean, I, I still stand by the fact that the tribal card isn't always the correct pick. Rob is right. There's thresholds you have to hit, but it's not like there's a little wrinkle in that in Lorwyn, basically like having 19 merfolk in your deck was better than having the 15 required to turn on all your spells. It was just like each additional one kind of had exponential scaling. This one, it's more about hitting the threshold. So when you've hit like your 13 dinosaur threshold, the more powerful card then becomes better than the next dinosaur. As opposed to Lauren, where there is basically no cap on the exponential scaling. Like your 21st Merfolk was better than, you know, random other spell that was kind of okay. Um, so, so that's like the small wrinkle. And that's what I'm talking about when I say tribal synergies aren't like the be-all, end-all. It's a little tweak from Lorwyn. Um, but they are still obviously important. And yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to find anything in this format that's going to like significantly move it up my scale the sealed format in particular does have a lot of, a lot of problems like rob said um but i they had to do something different right like they did a ton of multicolor blocks they did the artifact blocks and it was time to just go back to like it was time to go back to tribal i think tribal has flaws as the basis for a limited set i i really do i think it's very hard to make a successful limited tribal set 
Lorman is kind of like the gold standard. I wasn't crazy about Lorman. A lot of people consider that blasphemy. I think Lorman's like an all-time great format. I don't feel that way. I, I wasn't super impressed by it. And I've really never been impressed by a tribal limited set. So uh, I think it is good to dust it off for a little while. Um, I was certainly excited to start playing it. So they did a good job hyping me that way. But uh, a, f- a few games in, it's not quite hitting the mark for me. And I guess I'm just hoping that like second set turns it around because that's totally plausible. It could completely happen. I hope this is just laying like a fine groundwork and we get really rewarded for our patience here um, with the second set. But I guess the set just came out officially three days ago and I already don't really <laughs> want to draft it anymore. So that, that's not the best look. The, I think the second set is drafted alone, right? We switched over to that model? Uh, you, you might be correct. I honestly don't know. But the, you might you, be right. the, the real unfortunate part, I, I, think, I think that's how they're doing it now. The real unfortunate part is that Ixalan is the, is the fall set, which means it has the longest drafting time. <laughs> so we don't get out of this until like February or so. Uh, maybe Iconic Masters will be awesome. It's also... I think kind of a tribal set, so maybe it's not going to be. <laughs> it's not going to be great. Like there's, so th- this set has like a bunch of really cool ideas that were just like executed so poorly. So like you have all these pirates that can make treasures, so you can play like these. You think in theory you'd be able to play all these sweet like three, four, five color like Grixisy colored pirate decks, right? And I've tried it, but the thing is that there's nothing worth splashing because all the cards are garbage. Like it doesn't matter. I mean, I would. Sp- Flash Monster Sore, I guess, right? But, like, that thing's better than at least half of the rares. Probably three-quarters of them. So, uh, and it's not fair to, like, call, call that card out. Like, a, a lot of the cards are just miserable. The uncommons are, like, very skewed towards tribal synergies. So you're, like, in this pirate deck where you're, like, okay, cool, I can make all this colored mana, but I can't do anything with it. And then also you can make a bunch of mana, but there's nothing to cast. Like, there's no big spell that's, like, paying you off for having like 11 mana in play in your like red black pirate deck. Right. And then in dinos, it's like very hard to make mana and like cast these like six, seven, eight drop dinos. You like, can't, you can't make mana because you also just need to stuff these stupid dinosaurs in your deck. And, and like, you only have red there with the pirates and the red pirates are like, actually just not great at making treasures apparently. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Execution of the set is like, is, is very, very, Poor. I think the design of AVR was like very bad, and that's why it came out awful. I think this set is probably like designed fine. Like the mechanics are cool, things are interesting. It's just like the execution on what's going on is terrible. Like the fact that they thought it was okay to just like not have a blue white drafting theme and a green black drafting theme is just like, what are you doing? Just like green blacks obviously explore. Okay, it doesn't have a tribe, but just make a card. Just make green black enchantment. Whenever you explore. A creature gets a plus one plus one counter or whatever. Whenever you explore, explore again. Like I, I don't know, just like <laughs> it doesn't seem very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> or like blue white, just like cut favorable wins from the set. Make it a blue white enchantment. Plus one plus one in vigilance or plus one plus two in flying. Like I, I don't know. It's just it seems easy, but it yeah I don't know execution very very bad. <laughs> <sighs> Rob, well, you've been drafting a lot because yeah, <laughs> you have to prepare not only for. Nationals, of course, your upcoming uh, Pro Tour as well. Um, (laughs) Drafting for science, really jamming uh, a bunch of those enchantments. Like I went, I had the best deck in my um, on my team in in Providence with a uh, black white deck that I was really happy with. Probably, in my opinion, closer to an eight out of ten, and it really relied on. Uh, I think a Dentu Vanguard and Mark of the Vampire, which I feel like if you're not blue or and you don't have the, the white enchantment type removal, then I'm in a really good spot. I almost felt like, especially on the play, if I play that one one that attacks for three, um, I my win percentage, I just felt like I was going to win the game and it was inevitable. Um, is that, what's your experience? I've seen you, you're messing around with different type of... Uh, colors and it's funny that in these other colors there's just like this guy the one one it's inbuilt right the protection like mm-hmm. other people are as well other creatures like the green jade guardian or whatever is has hex proof but then there are other spells in these other colors that allow you to protect um or have backup for your suited up guy so so what's your favorite approach so far yeah i think when the blue black 
pirate deck comes together and you just have like um dive like one or two dive down like one or two of the um sort of the judge's familiar siren thing that like counters a spell that targets a creature you control um when you like just have that core and you have like one or two one with the wind and like two mark of the vampire and then you just have like really any random pirate creature base it doesn't even matter and so like you're just looking to put mark of the vampire on like any of your random two power flyers and protect it it's just like the format can't deal with that very well it's like very very difficult you also get the option of like putting on the three two merfolk that's unblockable which is also very annoying for them there's like a one one merfolk that can become unblockable if you play a merfolk so that that's like decent as well um and then if like you need to splash like white for the you know the vanguard or green for guardian because like you didn't get the right creature base like blue black is kind of an easy place to do it because you get like you know it's pretty easy to get treasures so having one or two cards here that are another color it's not it's not the worst like the deck is fine um i think the blue black deck is very powerful when it comes together like that i think like the other decks are good but they're not great um but like if you're looking to salvage a draft i found it like very easy to come out of a draft with a, a very reasonable deck that it easily went to uh two one and like if you know things flipped a little bit in in like the third match like easily could have like taken it but just kind of like you know variants sided against you and your deck is also not insane so <laughs> it's easier for that to happen um but yeah I, I like in the beginning of the format i really like to find these strategies where it's like okay i thought i was going to be blue black pirates i'm like pick seven or eight into pack one and i don't really see things coming together for me like how am i going to come out with a deck that can actually close games and that, that's kind of what I'm looking for with these kind of strategies, right? So it's like, what can I do when things are not going to plan? Because like this set, when things are going to plan, you just, you just you know, do what the, the seat dictates you do, right? It's like, oh, cool, another one, two flying pirate. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Next. Um, so, so what archetype are you probably leaning towards mastering at this moment uh, with, with nationals coming up in two weeks? I think I have a pretty good handle on the main color pairs that I like. Like, I like red-white uh, dinos. I think it's good. I think green-red dinos is also good. Uh, I like blue-black. Um, and I like... I'm missing one. I like vampires. And green-blue is, like, okay. I mean, you have to have the right kind of deck. I find, like, the Merfolk Synergy deck is relies much more heavily on, like, being able to really, like, go deep and have it all. If you, like, get halfway there, the deck's just terrible. Um, which is where I kind of, like, came out with, like, Mark of the Vampire <laughs> type strategy because it's, like, how you salvage your, your bad Merfolk deck when the card's just, like, not available to you or whatever. So, like, the, the other color pairs I'm, like, very disappointed with in general. Like, I don't like red-black. I don't like blue-red. I really don't like uh, green-white uh, or green-black. Um, so I really, really hope that I get a seat that can avoid that <laughs> if possible. <laughs> but I, I'm fine with like any of the other decks and I think it it rewards you more to just be in like to, to know what's open to you and to get in there because the like, you know, when you get the synergy cards, it's just like very, very, very powerful. Okay, I'm gonna hope to to get more thoughts from you as we get closer to nationals um to wrap up this segment on like the, the team sealed uh we had first rank nation member seb lachance posted on facebook comparing the two streams like i know everyone enjoys playing team sealed i love the environment i love being there it's so much fun it's actually no matter what who my teammates are um and and how bad our decks are i or how poorly we do i just always end up having a great time but of course that's not reflected in the stream uh viewership uh we we saw in in like what seb posted a picture comparing the viewer numbers between the scg live coverage and the team sealed it wasn't even close of course people are more interested in knowing about the new format new standard what people are going to be playing in constructed and it was a, a giant difference but I also, when I think about it, I also like that like PGO like keeps doing well at these team sealed events. And one of the things that I found hard and talked about in, in many of the previous episodes is how hard it is to build a narrative uh, for some of these events because it's so hard for a single player to keep dominating. But yet we're seeing a team 
constantly dominate. I wonder, instead of this um, team, like the Pro Tour team series that they've done, which uh, I feel like most casuals and most of us didn't really care for, maybe they should just do more team constructed and or something like that. What, what do you think, Brian? Would that spice things up at all, or am I totally off here? You're totally off here. People just don't, they don't care that much. Uh, that doesn't change... That doesn't change what's going on, and the the difference between SCG and the GP coverage will always be accentuated by the quality of production. And until the you know Wizards coverage closes the gap with Star City coverage, that's always going to be a huge influence. But we're also just talking about Week One Standard versus Limited. I mean, that's like Week One Standard is the hype time for coverage. Um, so. I mean, I, I'm kind of like dancing around your question and not really answering it. I just think that for the good of coverage, maybe there is an argument for more team constructed, but f- to keep people participating, I even have the thought as someone who's had success in GPs and pro tours before I play a team limited event, I'm kind of like, why am I bothering? Like they're so much better than my team. I, I honestly don't even know if it's worth my time to compete in this. And that's a little defeatist. And I, I don't really believe that. Like, I certainly think my team on all of our best days, we could, we've, we've all individually beaten members of PGO before. We could certainly do it again. It's not like they're unbeatable. It's just like their consistency is, is jaw-dropping. It's, it's, it's crazy. And sometimes you think, well, what am I doing here? Like, why am I even bothering? Um, so I don't think long-term that's the correct answer uh, coverage-wise. I do see why the attraction to it, though. And I, I think that does, that's part of the reason why we are seeing more team events is that it's, it's very good to build a narrative around the fact that you know, three of the most popular, um, some of the most engaging players in all of professional magic have just dominated team events for so long is kind of this unintended feather in the cap of Wizards. And, Honestly, the PGO is probably responsible for there being more team tournaments. Not only are they succeeding, but they're creating more events for themselves to succeed in. So that's, that's really as good as you can get. Um, and yeah, going forward, I would like to see them actually scale back team a little bit. Um, but that's mostly for selfish reasons. And I, I see the appeal of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've... I feel it's more compelling, at least, than, like, we, we, we talked about scenarios where, like, the Magic Pro Team Series, it might come to, like, one match, but the fact, I like just the visual aspect of it, the fact that the, the, the whole team is actually there, and, and people can grasp, like, who, who the teammates are, and, and who PGO, uh, w- like, what PGO is, um, so I found that pretty sweet, um, but let's move on to new standard, Brian. Sounds like you're really excited about New Standard. Um, we've got an SCG result. Jim Davis uh, and, and others have, have brought back the, the push, the approach deck to the forefront. Um, and then Sultai took it down, though. Uh, what are your early thoughts? There's a lot to be excited about here, which is weird because it doesn't look like it on its face. It looks like, oh, no, the same decks again. You know, the top eight is mono red approach. Sultai, which is kind of like a derivative of the green-black deck, which has been around for a long time. Um, And that's about it. But these are clear, established parameters which to build around. This is week one of a new format. You cannot see the type of innovation you expect here. What this has done is kind of set the goalposts. And these goalposts are such that it's kind of three pillars of the format at the top all do very different things, all have different constraints on your deck building, and they provide a puzzle for us to solve. And I still firmly believe it's a solvable puzzle. You know, when you're brewing prior to week one, you're just brewing in the ether, essentially. Nothing you do really matters because you don't know what you're up against. Now we know what we're up against. I think all of these decks have inherent flaws. The one with the least flaws is probably Teamer. Um, It's kind of just like the Jund of the format. Um, It's playing what may be the two best cards in the format in Hostage Taker and Scarab Guide at this point. Um, Hostage Taker especially has cemented its position. And the Sultai deck was really a brilliant deck for week one. They, the Jessup brothers recognized how important Hostage Taker was. 
they had the best hostage takers by virtue of blossoming defense. But there's new directions with which to take this hostage taker metagame. There's new things we could do. Uh, I'm already excited about using Carnage Tyrant in unorthodox ways. I think like we might be able to go bigger than what everyone's doing and, and act just be a fair deck that has four Carnage Tyrants in it and then invalidate the hostage taker plan. Or, you know, we just we play targets that are really not attractive to a hostage taker. Because right now, everything's kind of attractive to a hostage taker. What is a card that doesn't look attractive to a hostage taker? Well, I don't know. I, I think we'll have to experiment a little bit to see exactly what direction we go in. Um, but it's putting some very clear constraints on the format. Removal is very good against hostage taker. Instant speed removal in particular. Um, so we kind of have that part of the puzzle figured out. You know, things like Harness Lightning are very attractive, unsurprisingly, a great removal spell. Um, but I, I, I think there's ways to go here. I think there's stuff to explore. On its face, this was a disappointing result. But week ones are hard, guys. Like, and these decks were very, very, very good, very well-tuned. And they got new toys. And they got good toys. Um, so it's up to us now with the parameters defined to come back and kind of push the envelope. I promise you at Worlds, somebody will push the envelope. Something new will happen at Worlds. This is, I know, and there's better deck builders than me going to Worlds. I know this is an attackable metagame. I could figure something out if I had a high-stakes tournament coming up right now, a way to get ahead of this kind of circular um, you know, conflux of decks that we have right now. It's out there. It will be found. Slow your roll if you're hating on this format. It's going to be just fine. I promise. <laughs> Rob, Rob, what are your thoughts to see you reading over there? Yeah, I think the format's fine. Like, there's just a lot of viable decks, and everything looks like it's kind of like can compete, which is good to start. Like, it doesn't look like you know this. Like when Ramy Up Red came out of the last PT, it was like Jesus. The tools are like not too easily available in this format. It took it took a little while. Like, even by the end of the format, people still didn't really have that deck in proper check, right? It was doing good the whole time. And I think if you, like, picked a deck to be really good at uh, in the beginning, like, you, you'd do fine with, with Mono Red, like, uh, going through last season. This season, it doesn't seem to be that way. Although the deck's obviously good. It's not bad. But uh, Salty Energy looks to be real. Um, it's interesting that Hostess Taker and Scarab God are, like, just straight up good enough um to push uh to push them into the third color which i mean scarab god was there before um and no one really did this so it's interesting that like i guess that's just a nod to how great hostage shaker is right and uh, I, i've been playing mono red uh to start the format and like yeah it is real annoying when they hostage taker your hazard <laughs> it's like that that deck really doesn't have a way to deal with hazard other than hostage shaker so you really need to time your removal spells properly so that you don't get, uh, you don't get blown out. But yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of decks. There's, there's a lot of decks for you know, every type of player as well. Like you have a bunch of aggro decks, you have a bunch of mid-range decks, and then you have blue, blue like approach and like other weird stuff. Like Zach Elsick won the Classic on Sunday with like a Grixis improvised deck that's playing like four Herald of Anguish and like a bunch of bad artifacts. So and Tezzeret the Schemer, so I don't know, maybe Doug was right. Maybe Tezzeret's the truth. <laughs> probably, probably not, but anyways, it was, it's an interesting list that, that, uh, that he was able to do well. I mean, the format's still fresh, so uh, I'm curious to see, you know, if there's some other decks that can come back in the metagame, like just green-black, more like Verderous Gearhall, kind of like what Brian was saying, like, I, I kind of been thinking about that as well, like, if all these mid-range decks kind of want to, like, dirtle around with value, then maybe just go, like, right up the chain with, like, just Verderous Gear Hulk on a Carnage Tyrant with, like, Winding Constrictor out and call it a day um, and, and see if that works. Or maybe go back to, like, Red White Vehicles plan, uh, kind of a Mardu deck, and have that control board, uh, sideboard package with Fumigate and extra Planeswalkers and stuff like that. That's a, a good way to, to battle BGX decks usually. So, yeah, I think uh, the format will be at a nice rotating pace throughout all of its standard. I don't think anything's really going to rise to the top as being insane. And I think things are going to just slowly evolve, which is what people should want. Because <laughs> people were really whining when standard wasn't like that. So uh, you should be happy about it. But maybe people can complain about the exuberant cost of the blue-black uh, mythics and rares from the last few sets. 
Scarab God's gonna play like fifty bucks or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's gone up significantly. Um, a question in the nation for Alexandre Lucier, and I'll ask you, Robson's. You're prepping for Nats. Uh, question for tonight, if you have time or today, if you feel like it, with Nationals in two weeks and no real new deck from SCG Open, Red Approach and Energy with or without Black and or Red, how much more time should be spent trying to break a card versus locking and mastering a deck? Which is an excellent question because we're exactly two weeks out from Canadian Nationals. And, of course, let's just plug it right here. For more information about Canadian Nationals, go to mtgnationals.ca. So, Rob... Are you just going to jam and, and make sure you're a master and know the matchups of a certain deck, or are you going to still spend the next couple of days breaking? I don't, I don't want to see you go that teamer route, man. That was disappointing, <laughs> so don't let me down. The first, uh, you want me to play something spicy? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying I don't want you to play something spicy, and then oh, you fail. Want to play something spicy. <laughs> uh, that deck did okay for the event, although my results were slightly lackluster, but... Um, yeah, there's there's like a couple things that I want to try based on like where the meta game is. I kind of already talked about that, um, so I guess people in the nation will be able to follow along with with that as I kind of like move through those deck lists. If I get to nothing by the end of this week, um, I'll probably just I'll, I'll spend a day like Saturday or Sunday. I'll just build uh, the top four decks online and run them each through a league and like whichever kind of just even though one league is like not enough to know if a deck is great or not, just like whatever deck feels good, or maybe, you know, two of the decks feel good. And I'll take them both through another league and make sure that, you know, my gut feeling was correct. And then just work, you know, work through the week, just kind of tuning that list um, and making sure that I understand my matchups. I have a good sideboard plan, you know, run it by Brian for some sweet, hot tech that I can, uh, <laughs> that I can use for the, the big day. And then uh, just making sure my, my draft skills are, are still on par to where I think they should be, even though, like I said, the format is very boring. <laughs> it's almost a chore to play it, but at least at least Nats isn't sealed. That if it was sealed, I, I might I might even not attend. That that's a possibility. That's how bad the sealed format is. But, yeah, I don't know. I think if you're two weeks away, anyways. So long answer to to like a very short question. But if you're two weeks away and you have some ideas about something you think that is being unnoticed, I would I would spend a week figuring that out i think a week is is uh definitely enough time to like uh take a known deck list and and you know make a three or four card swap based on your your preferences and how you think your local metagame is going to be i know that's, that's a good suggestion and uh yeah oftentimes we talked about how sometimes we we try to go too deep for too long and then leave us not enough time <laughs> to uh I think uh, we mentioned this many times, and even PV mentioned it, how you know, he, he basically, that was the vlog he did once where he talked about submitting a deck at the last minute, exactly, and just not knowing the matchups enough, the approaches. Uh, Brian, you have any comments on, on this before we move on? Any other, other thoughts on Standard in general also? Yeah, I'm excited for Nationals. I think I'll, there's a lot of things I want to explore before then. Um, the answer to this question is know what you're good at. Have you successfully brewed a standard deck before that, you know, kind of took over the format? If the answer is no, ask yourself, what's changed? Like, do I understand magic on a different level? Am I, have I gained new skills that's going to allow me to really take my deck building to the next level and be able to ascertain if I've broken it? Because um, it's really hard to do. Really, really hard to do. And it's something that, you know, only a handful of people do in every season. And, and even very good players will go their entire lifetimes without ever really breaking a format. Um, so ask yourself, you know, is this a realistic use, use of your time? Also, what are your goals for the tournament? Do you, does, it, does nothing but first place matter to you? Or if you go with a cool deck and get some notoriety and get some coverage, is that what you're there for? Is that what you really want to do? You know, everyone has different goals for a tournament. And basically, balance your skill set versus the time you have versus your, you know, desired result, mash that together and figure out exactly what you should be doing. And I, I think the answer is kind of clear if you're honest with yourself about your abilities and your goals for the tournament. It, it, you, that'll lead you in the right direction. You'll figure out exactly what to do. I like that. I like that answer. 
Well, let's jump into something completely different that uh, Brian wants to talk about. And uh, first off, I, since it's related, I have to send my uh, my thoughts and prayers to everyone that's been affected by the Las Vegas shooting. Uh, last night, I actually have a friend that, that lives in Las Vegas and super glad that he wasn't close to that and super happy and relieved that he's okay and fine and safe. And yeah, this topic, I was taken aback when, when Brian decided to message me that he wanted to discuss it and it has to do with, with, with safety in magic tournaments. And uh, I'll just let you take it away, Brian. Yeah, so I'll start with similar thoughts to everyone in Las Vegas. I used to live in Las Vegas. I used to work on the Strip. Um, so I, it was hard. You know, I think one of the ways we understand strategy or understand tragedy is to put ourselves in the same position. And it was very easy for me to imagine myself being there, being nearby. And it's, it's terrifying. Um, so, you know, all of my friends are okay as well. Um, and certainly just feel horrible for everyone who didn't make it out okay. Um, but it has led me to a topic that I really want to talk about. And this is, this is something completely separate from Las Vegas, but I, I don't want anyone to misconstrue it as like, you know, trying to take attention away from the very serious problem that's going on there. But it's just something that came to my mind. As Magic players, we go to these tournaments, these GPs every weekend, and we put three or 4,000 of us in the same room. In any other venue where you put three or 4,000 people together, there's incredible security. If you go to a concert, you go through metal detectors, you get patted down. Um, if you go to a sporting event, you're going through metal detectors, you're getting patted down. Um, at these events, there's huge security guards and, and bouncers everywhere and sometimes armed security. And, you know, there's a sad reality in our world right now where if people um, want to harm large groups of people, they have the tools to do so. And I don't see anything on the part of the magic community that is prepared for such a situation. There's never any kind of substantial security presence at a magic tournament. Sometimes there's one exit. Um, there, and like I said, you're just jamming an incredible number of people into a small room. And I'm worried. I think that there's been no talk about this ever. There's been no planning. And it's not something that really has ever been addressed. And I think it's time to start the conversation. This is not to, I'm not a fear monger. And my approach to horrible, terrible acts like this is to continue living my life. Because honestly, life is fragile no matter how you live it. And, you know, uh, a plane could crash through my roof right now while I'm doing this podcast. And that could be it for me. And regardless of kind of the things you do in your life, you're always going to have vulnerabilities and your life is always fleeting. So I don't change the way I live my life. I'm not going to stop going to magic tournaments, but I do think we have a unique vulnerability. And one of the things that protects us is that people don't really know how many of us gather in one place at one time. Um, but you know, what if the threat comes inside of, from inside our community? That's a horrible thing to say. I pray this never happens. Like, this is, I'm not trying to you know, be a harbinger of bad news. I just want to talk about this, to discuss plans for anything horrible like this happening. You know, as a, the magic community, sometimes we're very, um, we can remove people from our community sometimes, and we set barriers to the community. Um, there's like this barrier to the pro tour. Not everyone can participate in the pro tour. You're told you're not good enough. Um, so you feel ostracized like that. We ban people. Um, I'm not saying we shouldn't ban, you know, cheaters and, and miscreants. Absolutely. Um, they should certainly be banned, but that leads again to feelings of being ostracized and targeted and cast out from the community. And you see how people react to that. Sometimes it's, it's frightening. And I just want to have a conversation right now. Is this something that you guys think about when you go to magic tournaments? Is this, has this ever crossed your mind before? Or am I just like the paranoid one who's, who's thinking thoughts like this? Because I, I would like to see Wizards say something. Like we recognize the fact that we put these many people, you know, into kind of these small vulnerable places. Here's what we're doing to prevent it. Because like I said, the analogs, you look across every other environment where you're putting this many people together and there's safety measures in place. They aren't present in the magic community. And maybe we should reevaluate that. 
Rob, I'll let you. Yeah, geez, no one prepared me for this. What a dark turn the podcast has taken. <laughs> but uh, I agree. Like the so the stuff that happened in the U.S. Uh, yesterday, I guess it was was awful, obviously. And um, uh, like to Brian's point uh, about something to think about for uh, magic conventions or GPS or what have you. Like, yeah, I think it's probably something that has never no one's really sat down and said like, Hmm, should we do this? So it's good to bring it to light for me. Like, yeah, no, I don't think about this stuff when I go to an MG event, but that's probably because I'm Canadian. <laughs> it's just like, this is not a problem I'm thinking about a lot. So I think it's probably more something that happened. Like it's more in the American psyche to, to be thinking about, could this happen? Is it something you need to worry about? Like what kind of, measures preventative and afterwards like we can take to you know to help uh lessen the effect or um make sure it it doesn't happen or try and prevent it or or whatever and it's just it's because it happens way too frequently there right and it's like not (laughs) it's really not acceptable um but i i agree and i hadn't thought of it before but brian raises a good point that yeah like we are just you know sardine canning a bunch of people into a, a small space and uh, you know, not to say anything about the magic community, but it's not like made up of like people that don't have their own issues, right? Like it's actually just a really good place for people with a lot of issues to come together and kind of get away from that stuff. So like to your point about ostracizing people, like, yeah, some of those people may not take that stuff very, uh, very lightly. And maybe actually a, a very serious concern for them because they might have lost something that, um, you know, because of their mistake was very important to them. So. So yeah, I don't know. This is a this is a deep topic. <laughs> uh, this is not really my my area of expertise. I'm more of a, a designer <laughs> in terms of electronics and technology. I'm not very good at the, uh, the social aspect of uh, of these types of things. But I, I'd be very curious to understand um, from Watsi's perspective, like if they're also thinking about this uh, and what they think should be done, or if anything needs to be done. Um, you know, in the future or, or what have you, I guess now that CFP is running things, it's probably easier to, to set something like that up and have additional protections, but it's also just going to be kind of weird. Like I don't want it to be, you know, armed guards <laughs> with like huge metal detectors or whatever, but I guess that's how the American school system is. So maybe that's what needs to be there. I don't know, Brian, you, you're the American. And, no, and like, we, you- we have a very difficult balance to strike in this country between freedom and safety. And, um, you know, we have non-existent gun control, which is its own problem. And it, you're right that this is probably a particularly American problem since we are, you know, are just our gun deaths are out of control, essentially. Um, that's not to belittle issues in other countries and not to say they don't have their own security concerns. Certainly they do. Um, but, you know, we have a new mass shooting basically every day in America. So... It's certainly something that is on our minds. Uh, I don't have the right answer, but as someone with a platform and a way to kind of raise things, I don't want to come back here and have this discussion after something happens. You know what I mean? I would so much rather talk about this right now. And is there a problem? I don't know if there's a problem. Maybe, maybe there isn't. Maybe I'm just reacting to a horrible tragedy in a way, you know, internalizing it and, tr- and trying to see how it might affect my own life. And that's a little selfish, probably, but this is what's on my mind right now. So I thought it'd be good to talk about it a little bit. And, you know, maybe someone at Wizards or Channel Fireball will come across this, and maybe this is the first time they thought about it. And they say, hmm, do we want this to be on our hands? Do we want to say that we did nothing? Maybe it is time that we explore our options. And maybe they already have. Whenever we're having a conversation like this, we always have to acknowledge the possibility that this has been vetted and discussed and we're not you know this novel bastion of ideas that we're sprouting this into the either for the first time this could be well discussed at wizards and and they've analyzed it and don't think they have a problem and i i truly hope they're right and nothing ever happens and you know i hope we don't ever have to talk about this again but uh i i think it's a good conversation to have i know it's not a fun conversation to have and it's not our usual uh first strike stuff but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about today. So I, I've said my piece. I would certainly listen to anything you guys have to say. 
Uh, and I do appreciate your perspective coming from Canada, where I think things are very different. And I think you guys have a different perspective on things because you have kind of your societal issues a little bit more in hand than we do. And uh, it, it, I certainly, um, you know, don't want to cast America's problems over the globe. But, you know, you guys come to America a lot. You're here. So it certainly affects everyone. Um, I don't know. I, I put it out there. I'm happy to get feedback. I'm happy to talk on Twitter if anyone wants to talk about it. I just think it's a good thing to raise awareness of at this stage. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you completely. I didn't realize why I'm less sensitive uh, to it until, until Rob brought up, because definitely going to like a Canadian GP Montreal or Toronto doesn't really cross my mind when something like this happens. And uh, the fact that I stayed at, uh, when for GP Vegas, I, I ended up staying at Mandalay Bay for either a night or a few nights. So I was just there a few months ago. And, and my mind does, like, even though I mean, have that Canadian perspective, uh, like Rob, my mind does cross. Like, it has thought about that, especially when I'm in different, not just magic tournaments, but anywhere where there's, a crowd of people and I, I feel like there's not that much security. I, I tend to think about um, the possibilities that something bad could happen. Um, but I think it's, it's an important conversation to have. And I, I would be curious if, if they thought about any, anything, any measure to take in these like really, as you said, giant GPs that to be honest, some TOs try to jam into like the smallest venue possible. So I don't know what people think, but uh, it has crossed my mind more than once, uh, Brian, especially when I attend American GPs, or at least in certain states that are known to be more dangerous than others. uh, Definitely tend to not worry about certain places. Like, I used to not, maybe I'm wrong, I used to not worry about Vegas at all, especially um, parts of Vegas, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it makes me it makes me sad to hear that as an American too. That like you have to think about that a little bit more when you come to America. That's pretty horrible. But I don't I don't blame you for one second. I I totally get it. And uh, as far as Vegas goes, there's some really really bad parts of Las Vegas. There's a lot of oppressed people and a lot of horrifically poor people in Las Vegas living in dangerous situations. Um, but if you're on the Strip, you're pretty much okay, um, which is where most people spend their time. But Vegas is a community has a lot of crime, a lot of problems. Um, obviously, this is on a whole different scale. But uh, if you're on the strip, you're pretty much safe. Yeah, I always felt that way. I w- always just like was happy just to fly back there and stay anywhere on the strip and, and be pretty, like, stay pretty late and feel pretty safe, honestly. I'd go back to my hotel room. Like, I'd pay, play poker sometimes until, like, four or six in the morning and didn't feel like I needed to be too careful, like walking back to my hotel. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm curious what our listener has to say about this topic. Um, I think we're going to wrap up this show in, in the next couple of minutes. Uh, Brian, you had something that you also wanted to bring up. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just a bastion of horrible news today. I, f- I feel bad. I'm not trying to bring down first strike, but I'm sorry, Rob. I really didn't prepare you for this. <laughs> um, yeah. Just a bunch of bad things happened this week and a former guest of the show, Connor Bryant, a member of the first strike nation, his, his brother passed away. I just wanted to mention quickly, he's, he's got to go fund me for his brother's kids. Uh, I'm going to be giving 25% of any winnings I get from nationals to the GoFundMe. Uh, hopefully I finally win a tournament since we all know it's been a very long time at this point, but uh, this can be the one I break through at and I will happily give uh, a quarter of my winnings to a very good cause. We're going to put the link to the GoFundMe um, in the show notes. It'd be really nice if anyone in the nation, you know, whatever you could give is always appreciated. Don't feel like you have to break the bank here, but if you have an extra dollar, an extra two, I'm sure uh, Connor would really appreciate it. A really nice way to look out for another member of the magic community. Or if you just want to pledge, you know, a portion of your winning at nationals, I'm sure Connor would really appreciate that. Obviously devout magic player, he'll be there at nationals. And I, I know it'll do him a lot of good to see that kind of response from the community. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. And I promise next week 
I will only talk about happy things. I have significantly lowered um, the enjoyment of most listeners of this show. That was not my intention, but and sometimes bad things happen. And I think we all rely on each other as a community uh, as a way to kind of talk about this stuff and get it off our chest. And uh, I, I know I'm glad to have all of the first strike listeners to talk about this stuff with. And I, I hope that maybe if some of you are, you know, a little fraught with peril right now or just processing what has gone on in the last few days, hopefully us talking about this will, I don't know, I don't know if we eased anyone's mind, but it's just good to know that sometimes people are thinking the same way you are and concerned about the same stuff you are and are looking out for your back. So that's, that's my two cents. Next week, all sunshine and rainbows, I promise. That, that's like almost assuredly Brian's going to come back and say how much he hates standard. <laughs> it's like a guarantee. <laughs> okay. I'll also, um, I'll also pledge a portion of my winnings from Nats, which is uh, to Connor's brothers or to Connor's GoFundMe. Uh, I'll, I'll take that. That seems like a reasonable uh, thing to do, even though it's probably not super likely that I do well, but I will do my best. Which gives Brian more incentive to give me a sweet list. <laughs> I, will, I will give everyone. I, I will say right now, anyone who pledges in the First Strike Nation, I promise you will know what deck I am playing at my nationals. You can have my list. You're welcome to play it. Now, if I do poorly, I'll have doomed this entire campaign if I come up with a bad list. So I've taken as out long as they also if they pledge and then they win, then you're, it's good. It's all good, right? It's yeah, all I the same so. to you. I guess so. Yeah, you personally lose out, but the collective yeah. has won. <laughs> Hopefully, I find something good to share with everyone. I, I do feel like Brian, like you don't have to to say uh, some of the things you, you just said. I think this is like the perfect platform for for this and what are you going to do talk about this on, on your other show <laughs> so i think this is the, the perfect spot actually to be honest that, that is true it's it's nice to have kind of you know obviously i love the game podcast and I, I love what we do there but it is nice that we get to talk about this stuff once in a while and, and do move beyond just uh the x's and o's of magic and and talk about the social stuff and i, I think it is probably a good platform for it so uh i'm, I'm glad we're here i hope people uh appreciate First strike for spreading the wealth around and talking about all aspects of, of magic. And speaking of that, people have been in the game discord just raving about first strike over there. Everyone says how much they love the show. Um, they especially are, are big fans of the limited talk and think you guys do an awesome job with all the limited analysis. So getting props all over the place. Cool, cool, cool. Good, good. <laughs> I, I hope people enjoy my tweets of uh, making dragons out of hexproof. Two tumor folk. <laughs> I've been just sprouting out into the internet. <laughs> um, Brian, again, I always go to you for any of these like esports or streaming questions. Be honest, are you actually excited about worlds from a spectator standpoint? Um, I can't watch a lot of worlds because I'm actually officiating a wedding this weekend i'm doing my first wedding as an officiant um one of my good friends is getting married so i'm going to miss a ton of it if i was around i'd certainly watch it yeah i'm excited about worlds i I think worlds is a great tournament um you know the best players possible and the highest stakes possible obviously jerry's going to be there i'll be rooting for him Uh, a couple other friends there too i'd love to see calcano do really well um really i don't want to leave anyone out there's a ton of people i know there and I, i certainly wish success for all of them um but yeah i I like worlds i i have nothing against it man i i love magic for all the hard the hard knocks i give the game obviously i love magic and an an exciting tournament like that i'll definitely be watching same with you rob to to fish for any standard tech this is mtg champs basically right like it's a 20 this is the 24 person event or 32 person event or whatever yeah this event's useless i hate watching this it's just like (laughs) The testing is so inbred. There's like four teams of eight, basically. And then they, they come out with a... <laughs> there's like two decks in the event. Um, cool. Yeah, cool. Cool event. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It, super inbred events like that, I, I don't uh, like to look at them for useful information. It's very, very rarely does something come out of it. Um, but you never know. I mean, I think what we're going to get is just like really, really tuned hostage taker lists really, really tuned mono red lists and really, really tuned blue-white approach lists, and that's going to kind of be the event. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what flows to the top. 
that piece of information is useful. But in terms of watching the event, yeah, it's, I just I don't want to see the same three decks jammed against the same thirty-two players for like you know twelve hours straight. Not that interesting. <laughs> it's interesting to me that I think this is the first year. How may I correct me if I'm wrong? I just feel this is the, f- or at least maybe. Because haven't they been throwing like funky formats um, for a couple of years in the Players Championship? I think they did Draft Modern Standard, but they put them in weird spots. Like I think it was like Draft Modern and then Draft Standard and then the top four was Standard or something like that. I think that was the last one. So I don't know if this one has Modern or not. I haven't been following it since I'm not qualified. <laughs> and I got, I got Nats to prepare for all right, I got it. Uh, Day one will consist of three rounds of Ixalan booster draft, followed by four rounds of standard constructed. Day two is the same thing. And day three uh, will consist of two parts of the team series championship and the top four playoff, and the top four playoff will be standard. So just a, lot, a bunch of standard, no more modern. So cool. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. <laughs> the winner of an inbred format, according to uh, Robin Barney. <laughs> I mean, you're, what you're almost getting is like, you know, if CFB goes to their testing house before the PT, like, this is what comes out of it. You're kind of like watching that, uh, you know, in action at the event. That's, that's kind of what's going to happen. So this, this is different, though. I mean, like in the past, it's always been into a dead format that's already been solved. This is week one of Ixalan Standard, or week two, I guess, at this point. Um, there's certainly way more room for innovation here than there usually is at a Worlds tournament. Um, I think this could be an exciting tournament. I think you might be surprised. Your, your points about there being a heavy team influence and the fact that there's not, I mean, there's not going to be 24 different decks there. It's, it's just not possible. There's going to be uh, a lot of convergence across teams, but I, I still think this could be better than past Worlds. And I think that uh, the change that they made to have it at this point in the schedule is to address exactly your complaints about it. Like you're, you were a hundred percent right when it comes to past um, worlds formats. I have my fingers crossed that this will be a little bit different. I, I, I hope you're right. We'll be talking about it next week. <laughs> and I have to talk about sunshine and rainbow. So I'm going to support it. No matter <laughs> you what. have to love it. No matter what. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it was mentioned in chat and, and Robbie answered, but uh no, Brian, uh, let, let people know where your Twitter is. <laughs> uh, it's just at Brian Go, B-R-Y-N-G-O. Okay, Rob? Apparently it's Robert Lombardi Zero. <laughs> so I've been told. <laughs> Mine's at KYT Magic. Um, I, I, I always made fun of you, Rob, because like, all of us have our real names as like the name and the <laughs> at as like the nickname, but you just like reverse it. And I love I'm not going to lie. I didn't know how Twitter worked when I got it, and I meant to have it the other way. And I'm just stuck with it now, I guess, right? So it, it you, is, can change, you can change your Twitter Twitter handle. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but like, keep how, like all your followers and everything. Is that I know, but is that annoying for like all the oh, yeah. on the inter- yeah, internet? Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> <laughs> Twitter, like Robert Lombardi Zero. You know, it's, it's pretty good. That's what Twitter said I should have. Okay, sounds good, man. Whatever <laughs> you guys think. Like, why do I have two names anyways? Why do I have? Like a screen name and then the Twitter handle, or like what is going on? What is the purpose? <laughs> uh, it was unclear to me when I created the account. It's still unclear to me now, to be fair. But uh, that is Twitter life. I'm too yeah, old for this stuff. Isn't really any logical reason for there to be two names, is there? I don't know. I guess one of them is like not your actual account, so you can just like put any stupid thing you want in there. Yeah, I mean that's the problem with it. If it was like identity verified, then you can say there's a reason for it. But I can put whatever I want in the second part of my handle. So (laughs) Uh, I'm still not quite on the Twitter train. I do it because that's where people in the MTG community are, but uh, I'm not Twitter savvy. Sometimes I post pictures. That's about it. The super, the super tech guy. Yep, <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. The super tech guy here is not not uh, not savvy with the latest trends. In this is, it's, a social, it's a social media application. It's totally different, right? I just 
talked about how I'm like not good with the social stuff. <laughs> Twitter's basically software incarnate of of social uh, social things. So and that's why it just goes. Rob's like social this. anxiety translates to Twitter perfectly. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, just like a one for one parallel. <laughs> Hit me up on Facebook if you want to chat with me. It's much easier to find me, and uh, I'll be able to have longer conversations with you. <laughs> Love it. Um, shout out to our first strike producers Jonathan Good, Cal Smirchik, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Murchison, Isaiah Carrero, everyone in the First Strike Nation, anybody that's joined recently. Uh, welcome to the nation, and thank you for the support. Hope you enjoy the show, and we will be back. Next week, uh, there's the Montreal Open Plus, the second one. The first one, the Toronto Open Plus, was won by Aldrazi Tron. This one is a 5K in Montreal this Saturday. Winner, the top two finalists, not just the winner, the top two finalists get invites to season two of the SCG Invitational, which is in December in Roanoke. And you also get $400 each. to pay for your travel. So that's a pretty sweet thing. And the SCG, I think the winner gets, there's a lot of cash that uh, can be won at the SCG. So it's actually a sweet tournament to be qualified for. Um, one of the more prestigious like tournaments that you could be queued for actually. So that will do it for Brian, Robin and me, and we will see you next week. Bye guys. 